Good morning, Cypress Bible Church. Welcome to worship today. Would you stand together with us? Let's sing our praise to the Lord and lift this song up together. We worship the God who was. We worship the God who is. We worship the God who evermore will be. He opened the prison doors. He parted the raging sea. My God, he holds the victory.
sit down, would you turn to the left and right, greet those around you and welcome them to worship. seat unless the spirit compels you to stand during announcements. That's okay too. Well, welcome to CBC. My name's Chang or Jonathan Chang, and I'm one of the pastors on staff here, and it is a privilege to worship with you all this morning. If this is your first time here, or you are just wanting to find out more information about our church, or you just need prayer, or you want to reach out and, and have maybe someone from our church staff or our church family engage you where you are, on the back of the pew, there is a QR code, and if you scan that and take a picture of it, and it'll take you to the link, and that is an easy way to engage us and for us to engage you back in a timely fashion. Here at CBC, we have some values that we truly try to live into as a church family. The first one is that we gather. We gather 
consistently together to worship an almighty God as a church family. And number two, we grow together. We grow in the truth of the scriptures. We grow as we study the word, as we hear the word, as my friend Dave's going to preach today. We grow in those aspects. We grow in our small groups. We grow in our grow classes. But it doesn't stop there. Because we need to do something with this knowledge, with, with this wisdom that we acquire as we grow. And so we go. We take the gospel message of hope to the world. We take the sound doctrines that we learn at this church to the world because the world desperately needs it. And then with all that within the context of our church family, we use those gifts and talents and we serve to equip this bride of Christ here at CBC. And so I love that we get to do that together here. In January, we did a series called The Struggle is Real. Um, because the reality is life is difficult. We all deal with difficult things and understanding that we as a church, we want to come alongside you if you are dealing with difficulties. And we have two things I want to bring to your attention. And the first one is we have a meeting called Grief Share. And it begins, uh, sorry, my eyes are messed up. It meets from 3 to 5 p.m. on Sunday afternoons, and it will meet for five weeks. Uh, and it begins, if you're wanting to be a part of this, and what it is, it is a group for those who have experienced the loss of a loved one recently, uh, which that has affected all of us, myself included. And so if you are needing that support, I encourage you to come be a part of Grief Share, and you want information about that, we have information for you out at our Welcome Center. In addition to that, we also have a group, a meeting called The Gathering Place, uh, this is a ministry for memory-impaired individuals, and it provides fellowship for them, interaction and entertainment, and it gives their caregivers a chance to have a break, to be able to exhale in life. And they meet every third Thursday from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m., and that begins this week. And also, for more information, you're welcome to our Welcome Center to get that for you. And the last announcement I want to make this morning I want you all to listen up. We have an amazing children's ministry, an amazing, amazing children's program that even my kids came through here. And we want you to partner with us. We want you to come alongside and train our children up because we see in the word of God, in the book of Joshua, Israel said, we will never depart from the faith. And 60 years later, the book of Judges happens. And that's why what we do with our children is so important. And it's not just us. We want you to partner. We're in this together. That's what it means to be family. And so we have some needs that we can use your help with. At the 9.30 a.m., we need two more adults and elementary kids. And at the 11 a.m. hour, we need seven adults for early childhood and seven adults for elementary. I am not the Holy Spirit, so I cannot convict you. But maybe the Holy Spirit is compelling you to jump in the game, to use your gifts that God has given you to help serve and build up this church. And so won't you pray and consider and join us in that aspect. Thank you, Pastor Chang. Church family, if there's somebody here who's new with us today, we want to say a welcome to you. And if you would mind pulling out your cell phone, I know in church you can do this. There's a little QR code on the back of your pew. You can just scan your camera with that and fill out some information because we'd love to get to know you a little bit more. And if you were here last week, you remember we had a chance in the service to have a prayer commissioning for Pastor Tony and his wife Lisa. They were called to go on a a trip to the to Poland to see about how Cyprus could partner with 
uh, helping Ukraine refugees. And it's an incredible opportunity. But he was scheduled to preach today. But when that opportunity came up, we knew it was important. And he took that chance. And so we have your pastor of uh, care and counseling, Pastor David Munsinger, is going to be preaching the word today. And we're very excited to have him continuing on in the sermon series of launch. And so be in prayer for him and be in prayer for that as we uh, really focus on a great aspect of the Lord. And that's, that's his grace. And as we continue in worship, church, I want to invite you um, to look at this scripture passage with me together. This is a scripture passage that puts our focus on grace. And the beautiful picture of God's grace is that it comes to us through his kindness. And I've always loved that about how God approaches us. You know, when we, we are caught in sin and we are hopelessly lost without a savior, Jesus approaches us with this kindness and grace. The scripture says in Romans that his kindness leads us to repentance. This is a beautiful, just amazing uh, picture. It's the best word I can think to describe it of how God loves us, how God receives us. But the scripture in Titus says this, but when the kindness of God, our savior, and his, but when the kindness of God, our savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us not by works of righteousness that we had done, but according to his mercy, through the washing of regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He poured out his spirit on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we may become heirs with the hope of eternal life. You know, we've been talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out abundantly to us and we've been welcomed into the family by his amazing grace. So let me invite you to stand together. And as we continue to worship, would you think on his grace? This song talks about what Jesus has done for us on the cross. All our sin has been washed away by his blood. Let's lift this up together. There's a place where mercy reigns and never dies. Streams of grace flow deep and wide Where all the love I've ever found Comes like a flood, comes flowing down At the cross, at the cross
life we owe to a Savior who died on the cross for us. Church, do you remember last week as we were praying and commissioning Pastor Tony, I asked you just to do a simple posture of extending your hands out in prayer and agreement uh, to bless the trip and to bless what the Lord was doing. Well, my family came to church last week and we were over here as Mother's Day, had a great day. And my daughter was listening. She's six years old, okay? And she is looking up, of course, at everyone and learning as she's here. I love the beauty of generations all gathering together in worship. But when dad said, hey, I need you to extend your hands out to pray, she's like, okay, I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that. And so she put her hands out and she starts praying with us. And I'm, I'm praying along. And, and then about midway through, which is a little bit of time, right? She starts, starts struggling a little bit. And so mom, being the gracious, loving mom that she is, even on Mother's Day, right? That good time here. She's reaching over to maybe help hold her arm up. And Sadie goes, no, 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 I can do it. I can do it. And so she's praying and she's pushing herself. And then she finally, we get to the end, you know, dad's praying probably a little too long. And we get finished and she goes, oh, I did it. I made it. And I tell you that because there's a beautiful thing in that moment right there. Because those things are happening all over this room when we gather together in worship. Kids are looking up at mom and dad, grandpa and grandma, and watching you worship, watching you hear the word, watching you respond to what God is doing in your life and heart. And they're learning, they're growing. And we taught you a song last week called Same God. And I think it applies so much to the message of this song, that the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament is the same God, who is also the same God of right now. Nothing about him has changed. Psalm 145 says, one generation shall commend your works to another. They will tell and speak of your glorious splendor from day after day. And that's a beautiful opportunity that we have when we gather in worship to tell of the greatness and the glory of God because he is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So I wanna to continue to teach you this chorus and it sounds like this. Oh God, my God, I need you. Oh God, my God, I need you now. How I need you now. Sing it together with us, oh rock. Oh rock, oh rock of ages. I'm standing on your faithfulness, on your faithfulness. Remember, these verses are just biblical characters that you probably know and how God responded in each of their stories. Let's sing this out. I'm calling on the God of Jacob, whose love endures through generations. I know that you will keep your covenant. I'm calling on the God of Moses, the one who opened up the I need you now to do the same thing for me. Oh God, my God, I 
It's your faithfulness I'm standing on. Oh, you're never changing, God. You heard your children then. You hear your children now. You are the same, God. You are the same, God. You answered prayers back then. You answer prayers right now. You are the same, God. You are the same, God. You were providing then. You are providing now. You are the same, God. You are the same, God. You I just want to say a specific thank you 
for the way you have been working in Cyprus Bible Church. And God, we look towards the future uh, and pray for this continued search process for a senior pastor. God, you are completely aware of the man that you're calling to this position. And so, Lord, I pray that even now, wherever he is, you would align his heart to what you're doing here because, God, you're doing some amazing things with this body. And, Lord, we just want to praise you for the unity in the spirit, um, the unity in the staff, and all that you have done to show yourself so faithful. And, Jesus, we give you this morning. We pray that you would continue to receive the praises of your people and now open our hearts and our ears to hear the word of God and apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Well, good morning, Cypress Bible Church. We are launched. We're about halfway through our sermon series as we're going through Acts 1 through 9. Today, this is the fun one. Houston, we have a problem. I don't know if you've seen the movie Apollo 13 with Tom Hanks. Uh, I was mentioning it to one person, and um, she said, when was that made? I said, 1994. Oh, yeah, I wasn't alive. And so, <clears throat> so for those of us who are aware of Houston and the space program here, uh, Apollo 13 was the third mission. Remember, the first mission was Apollo 11, and they landed on the moon on uh, July 20th of 1969, and Neil Armstrong uh, walked on the moon for the first time. This is the third one, Apollo 13. And what's so interesting is that Apollo 13, when they got up about, I don't know, six, eight hours into their voyage towards the moon, back then um, you would turn on the TV, okay, this is 1970, and there were only three stations, ABC, CBS, and NBC, that you could watch TV on. Well, there was PBS, but only like really smart people watch that. And so all the networks did not go with Commander uh, James Lovell and his, like, here we are in, you know, the lunar module, and here we are doing this and flipping all these buttons. By this time, Americans were bored with the um, program because everything went so perfectly. Everybody felt like they were an expert on it. And when everything is like perfect and ideal, people get lulled into sleep, right? We want something exciting. We want some fun. And so today, the text that we're going to look at, there is some fun, just like there was for Apollo 13. It happened on the 13th of April at the 13th minute of the 13th hour of the 13th mission. Crazy, huh? But because of the people here in Houston, we got all three of them back safe. And the crew was amazing. So I encourage you to watch the movie. And as we uh, begin um, our service today and we go and take a look at the Word, I'd like to pray first. Before we even read the Word, uh, let's pray. And I'd also like to ask that we would um, keep um, my buddy James Parker in prayer. Uh, you may know Kevin and Renee, but uh, James is in the ICU. He's got sepsis. Um, he's got a inf- terrible infection, and he's got an obstructive um, in, in his colon. And so let's pray for James and ask the Lord to visit us. Would you join me? Gracious God, Heavenly Father, we come as your church asking that you would heal James Parker, uh, that you would take the um, infection out of his body and that you would um, 
clear his colon uh, so that um, he would be able to eat um, and be healthy. Um, And so we know that you can heal him, dear Jesus, and we would pray that he would get the attention and the healing that he needs. And Father, we ask that you would grant us your Holy Spirit. We desire very much to know how are we to be the ideal church? How are we to gather around the good news and the gospel of Jesus Christ? And how are we to fulfill your kingdom purposes here in Cyprus and in Houston and in the world? We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. So let's look at the text. Now, the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Now, this text here is very, very similar to Acts 2, 42 to 47, which is one of my favorite verses about the church, where it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread, and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. So we see the the church is restored here after the troubles that it had with persecution in chapters 3 and 4. And so we once again have this reiteration of here's what the church is, here's what the church does, here's what it looks like, here's what it feels like. Um, And it's a beautiful picture here. Um, Notice that they were all of one heart and one soul, okay? Um, Meaning they felt this deep sense of, of unity and community. And that's what it even says. They felt like they had everything in common, right? They, they, they all liked the Astros, and they all voted for the same politicians, and they all drove the same car, and, and everything, they, they agreed on everything. There were no disagreements. It's a beautiful picture of, of what God was doing. And notice what's causing this to happen, Okay. You need to read that into the text. It was with great power that the apostles were preaching the gospel, right? The the testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were focused on the gospel, on the good news, on the accomplished work of Jesus Christ. That's what motivated them. That's what brought them together. And we just need to ask ourselves before we even jump too far into this text, what is your motivating force of life? What when you strip away everything down deep, who you really are and what motivates you, what gets you up in the morning, what is it? Is it to be a good person? Is it to be a great engineer? Is it to be a good student? Is it to see what you can get away with today? Is it to be a good mother? All these are pretty much noble things, but your core animating force of your life is the gospel of Jesus Christ, His grace. The mere fact that the Son of God should come to earth, minister among us, be crucified to a tree, sacrifice everything, demonstrating the love of God for you, and then be resurrected from the dead, that should animate your life. You never get over, if you are a believer in Christ, what Christ has done for you. It is absolutely marvelous. 
There's not even enough great words to come up with what Jesus has done for us. And every morning when you wake up, you're motivated by His good news, the gospel. And when we, as the people of God, come together, we're animated that Christ has risen from the dead, that He really, truly has given us eternal life. He really is who He said He is. And when that happens, great grace comes on us. That we're a church of grace, not a church of law, going around telling people what they should and shouldn't do. No, we extend that same grace that we've been, seen, that we've been that recipients of. So the story continues. There wasn't a needy person among them, for many were owners of land and houses and sold and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, at this time, about 4 to 7% of the population would have been, had this type of wealth. And now that you're all under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, I think, um, deacons, let's take an offering, and, and I'll be the apostle as the preacher, and you can lay it here at my feet. Because we all interpret the Bible literally here, right? That's what it means to be a Bible church person, is a literal interpretation. Now we're going to get to that. How do we do our offerings? And it comes right from this text. But Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, he sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So what we see is this great generosity, and their giving is being done in public. Everybody knows who's giving what. So let's just take a look at a few things and unpack. What is the ideal church? What you see here are selfless believers. No one's kind of holding back of, well, you know, Chang said they need seven people to work, you know, in the um, children's ministry this summer. Let's, let's see who signs up first before I, you know, sign up for that. I know, I'm hitting really close to home on that one. Um, but, but you see how everybody's participating in the ministry. There's a need, okay. You need somebody to work in the nursery, okay. I'll do it. So um, you see this selflessness. And everybody wants a church that's like really ideal, that's really wonderful, right? But we kind of expect that we can just go into it and it's all happening. And we can just enjoy it. No, you, 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 you go in to be a blessing, you have that attitude, and that only comes from what's animating you, right? The gospel of Jesus and how he has demonstrated the love of God towards you that you want to go and do the same wherever he brings you. And you're around all these brothers and sisters who want to do the same. And you see that the gospel is regularly and powerfully being proclaimed. And that's why the pulpit of every church has to be driven by the gospel. And the purpose of preaching is the good news of Jesus, any other issue will only distract and take away from a church. And you see that because of the generosity of God, they're financially generous. And you see this beautiful church taking place. And what's interesting here is Plato, he talked about having the ideal social utopia. That's where it comes from. Where possessions really didn't matter to anybody right? That, that, that humanity, people, a city could just get, enjoy themselves, but there's like this no like greed that goes on. That's part of the utopian vision. Um, notice how everybody who gave here wasn't under compulsion. And so when the Greeks read this, they're like, oh, this is what our great philosophers talked about. Oh, this utopian can only happen when God 
is present, when it is the Spirit of God that is moving. Okay? It, it, it can happen, but it requires God. It cannot be done just by man. And if you study human history long enough, you'll find that when people come under compulsion, it's not very utopian. And so, one of the things that we need to think about here is what do we want from a church? And we all want the ideal church, but here's the thing. Once you walk into that ideal church, it stops being the ideal church because you bring all of your sin, all of your dysfunction into that church, and it's now corrupted. And that's going to be the second part of our message here. And in a sense, every one of us, we kind of feel like we're looking for that church that's like that TV show Cheers. Because everybody wants to go to a place where everybody knows your Right. That, that really, the reason why that TV show was so popular is that's a core need of everybody, right? Why did we all hate high school? Because it was so cliquish, right? We're expecting children to act like mature adults. It just doesn't happen. And so that's one of the reasons why we have a welcome team, and I oversee the welcome team. Because when you come to a church, you want to be greeted like, we actually want you here. Okay, and you know, one pastor was sharing with another pastor to pray for his church because while they were just a really wonderful church and the people, well, what they believed and, and, and God had, had done a great thing there, that church, they were just cold and unfriendly. And, and, and that's important. Now, my previous church, um, I asked them, what's one thing that you would like to see the new pastor change about your church? And the search team said exactly this. We're a cold, unfriendly church. And I just implemented one thing, and we just did it here about 10 minutes ago. Well, maybe 20 minutes ago. I would ask the church before the announcements to stand up and greet those around you. And within a few months, I had new people coming to the church, and they said, this is the friendliest church we've ever been to. Right? When you make that choice to be gracious and friendly and hospital, be, hosp, show hospitality because that's what Christ has shown you and you show that to others, it, it becomes infectious. And you may not think that you have a role or a place to, in this church, but you just being friendly and kind and making friendships with people is essential. Uh, my wife and I used to do Young Life when we were in Washington, D.C., and um, the, the group of us who were Young Life leaders, we were all in our 20s and, and, and um, single and working in D.C. And, uh, you know, Young Life, we had all these kids from McLean High School coming out. And those of us who were leaders, we're still friends 30 years later. Matter of fact, we're going to go see them in Colorado in September. We get together every three or four years for a reunion. And one of the kids said to one of the leaders, because they saw us laughing and having a good time as Young Life leaders, said, the kids said, you guys like each other? Yes, we do. And let me tell you, that is, 25 years as a pastor, when your church staff, they like each other, and your church members, they like each other, God moves. He keeps adding, right? And you're preaching the gospel. So that's one simple role that you can play here in helping us be an ideal church, but what we're really after is revival, okay? That means when God reignites his life. And this is by J.I. Packer, and you know it has to be right. 
It's a visitation of God which brings to life Christians who have been sleeping and restores a deep sense of God's near presence and holiness. Then springs a vivid sense of sin and profound exercise of heart in repentance, praise, and love with an evangelistic outflow. And this is what we pray for, people. Okay? The world right now in our country is a total mess. Okay? If you want it to change, yes, call your politician. Yes, vote. But pray for revival. God needs to change our hearts. We change Cyprus, Houston changes, Texas changes, the country changes, the world changes, okay? That's how God does it, by the people of God being the people of God that are animated by the gospel and proclaiming it. So one last thought on this. We see here this koinonia fellowship. That's what it means when they had all things in common. That's where the word fellowship comes from, this word koinonia. Um, and uh, and, and Aristotle, who came after Plato, he talked about what the nature of true friendships were, and, and that there's this, 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 this just sharing of life together, okay? And so that becomes part of the ideal church is we, we do life together. We get to know each other. Like that pastor I referred to, he said the people in the church, they didn't know each other. They weren't like in each other's lives. They didn't like each other. You can't really experience all the full manifestations of the Holy Spirit and things of God if you're, if, if you're not having this sense of koinonia fellowship. And it's why churches will always have a room, a large room, and they call it the fellowship hall. It means this is where we go and we gather in an in, in, in in a unusual sense of fellowship that doesn't exist outside of the church because it's wrought by the Holy Spirit. And you also see this first church caring for the needy. Okay, that's very important here that the needy's cared for and that their family is a covenantal family. Like, okay, if you see your brother or sister hurt and you go, you help them out. Well, if you're a kid, first you laugh at them and mock them. But, but no, you're supposed to, when you're family, you're family. You so that's the church of God. We're, we're family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And so they, they cared for those who didn't have what they needed. And then it said what they experienced was great grace. This is an amalgamation of some quotes on grace because most people don't really know how to define grace. You know, if they're really smart, it's like, yeah, it's unmerited favor. Okay, well, that really animates my heart and makes me feel really warm. It's unmerited favor. Hey, great. Thanks for that Bible definition. Um, <clears throat> grace takes the blame. Think of it this way. Instead of reading grace, read Jesus. Because when we talk about grace, it's how Jesus operates. It's how Jesus relates to us. Jesus takes the blame. Jesus covers your shame. Jesus removes sin stain. That's grace. Jesus, grace, changes the world with love. Grace finds beauty in everything. Grace changes water to wine and brings joy to dry souls. Remember, they were all of one soul. They all had good cheer. Why? Because there is great grace. We need to be better about being extenders of grace. If you really believe that you have received the grace of Jesus, then you need to be a grace extender. And I'm not putting that on you as a work. Okay? But you need to be able to test and mark it. Right? So, like when your kids do something wrong or your spouse does something you don't like, do you point out their blame? Good for you. You're following the law. Just try maybe 
taking the blame, taking someone else's shame, maybe just absorbing their sin, right? When your teenager just is kind of grumpy and rude towards you, just take it. Jesus took all your sin, all your shame to the cross. You can't do that for a family member. You can't do it for a fellow church believer. Jesus did it for you. See, we need to live as a response of grace. And that begins changing everything. Grace can change the world, but it really begins with us absorbing God's grace, extending it, right? What if we went around trying to find the beauty in everything, right? Well, my car's not working right. Well, your car is working. It's not right, but why not find the beauty in what you do have, not finding everything that's wrong in life? It reorients you, right? Be someone who is seeking to find the good, someone who's finding beauty, because that's what Jesus did. He found the beauty in you, and he rescued you. Okay? Great thoughts here on grace. And lastly, they laid the uh, money at the apostles' feet. Still to this day, okay, before COVID, in a usual church, um, the, uh, the deacons would come in. We're going to see them in chapter 6, but they would they, they'd come in, they'd pass the plate, and then they bring it up to the front where the pastor is, and they essentially would be laying it at his feet, right? You've all been to church like this, right? Now, we've got guys who have little green velvet bags, and they stare at you as you leave and try and make you feel guilty, and they feel guilty that they're making you feel guilty, and they don't know if they should look you in the eye, and you don't know if you should look them in the eye, but we did that because of COVID, right? Because nobody wanted to touch a plate that was coming by, even though it's a respiratory um, disease, and you're not going to get it from touching it unless you touch the plate anyhow. So in those old days, that's how we did it. And look, it was literally biblical, The reason why a church stops the service is because giving to Jesus is an act of worship. You're saying, Jesus, because you gave everything for me on the cross, I give you some portion of what you've already given me, but I give it back to you so that you can use it for your kingdom and for your gospel to expand. And there's there's a tendency today, even among good Bible-believing Christians, that when they pay their taxes, that's like tithing to the Lord. Your tax goes to the government, not to the Lord. But there are Christians who actually think that. Well, I pay my taxes. That's kind of like giving to the Lord. No, it's not. Stop it. And there are people who think, well, you know, I give to the American Cancer Society. That's like giving to the Lord. No, all you've done is help someone live a little bit longer with a terrible disease, but they're still going to die I love the American Cancer Society. My wife used to work for them, and I've had family members that die, but that's a different kind of giving. You give to the church so that the gospel will be proclaimed and will go deep, far, and wide, and you give it as an act of worship. So let's continue on. Now it gets fun. But a man named Ananias, which literally means God is gracious, and his wife, Sapphira, which literally means beautiful, So grace and beauty comes to church because they sold a piece of property just like Barnabas had done. Remember, Barnabas sold that piece of property and everybody thought it was so great and it must have been a big piece of property and then he ended up traveling with the apostles, right? So they see this and they're like, hey, this is the way you're supposed to do things in church, right? But they're part of the fellowship. 
right? They're part of the one mind and the one soul, and they see this, and they did it with the wife's knowledge. He kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. The word there, kept back, is to embezzle. So he, he had communicated to everybody, I'm selling the whole land, and I'm going to get 500 grand for it. But he didn't tell them how much. But then when he sold it, he's like, oh, I got a little windfall. I got 600 grand for it. So I'm going to keep 100 for myself. But I'm going to let everyone know I sold my land, and they're going to think I'm just like Barnabas, and I'm part of the cool club, and maybe they'll put my name on the youth building. Okay, you, you see how this gets applied even to today. Okay, the same sin operates. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? This is where we all just need to take pause here. Even though there's great grace going on, who is right there trying to destroy the work of the church? The evil one. And he can enter into and fill the hearts and minds of any one of us. It doesn't take that much to go from the light to darkness right? The temptation is always there. These two bought it. So while it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not your own disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. When Ananias Ananias heard these words, he fell down, breathed his last, and great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. They were just being kosher. They were just following Jewish tradition that you don't leave the body there and you go and you, you bury it, okay? Great fear. This was, this was shocking, right? I mean, it, it, the, the, the Lord stopped his heart. He had a heart attack, okay? And, and, and part of it could have been he was, you know, shocked by it. He, he was found out. He was embarrassed. And the other is God's making an example here so that we still will remember don't defraud God, don't embezzle. Don't take that which is not your own. And don't try and take God's glory from him. So we see this motif going on in the Bible. We see this paradise lost motif. We see our first parents, because of their pride, doing what God told them not to do. Don't take from this tree. right? And then we see the very same thing, that first kind of church experience, the the people of Israel going into Canaan to settle in the promised land. They were kind of having a very similar experience that we find here in the book of Acts with the church. And a man named Achan decided to keep the booty. And they were expressly told, don't keep the booty. That's the proceeds and money that you keep from the person that you just killed in battle. And so he died and the whole family had to be executed. Achan and his family. And so we see it go on here. So the real sin here is taking something that belongs to God. Now, here's the thing. Embezzlement still goes on today in the church. Okay? I know of a church just around the corner from where I live over in Klein, and the um, treasurer uh, didn't send the payroll taxes into the IRS. You know that 7.65% that comes out of your paycheck for the Social Security, and then they also take the same amount from your employer. And so that's a really easy thing to keep 15% for yourself, and there's no accountability now, um, I want you to know, we've got lots of accountability processes here at this church, okay? This isn't going to happen here, 
okay? But this little church just right around the corner, they had a wonderful ministry. They really did. Um, that um, treasurer kept $250,000 for herself over five years, okay? It still happens, folks, okay? So we need to be on guard. Um, so the story continues. After an interval of about three hours, his wife, Beauty, came to church, not knowing what had happened. She may have been pretty, but she wasn't all that aware. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. He's giving her an opportunity to repent, to be honest. And, she, and, and this is grace. And she said, yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Okay. Um, Peter here is playing the role of prophet. Um, and, and so uh, we, we see here this sin of Ananias and Sapphira, and it's what I would consider as the sin of it's all about me. They put their needs first. And that's one of the things that we've got to be careful about when we come to church is church is not all about you. Okay, it's all about the gospel. And so we have to reorient and realign our, our thinking and our feelings about things. Now, here's the thing. Don't be worried that you're going to have a heart attack and die when you come to church, okay? You should not come here with that fear. Now, because we do have AED devices, and we actually have an AED person on at all times, and we also have a medical person. So if this should happen to you, we will revive you. I'm teasing here, guys. Okay, here's the thing. God did this, and, and we're going to get into this. He can bring judgments whenever he wants to. Okay, and so let's try and just understand this. After the Civil War was over, here's what Abraham Lincoln said. He said, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Do you believe that? When hard times come into your life, when you have trials? We've got grief share starting up when a loved one dies. Do you really believe that God's judgments are true and righteous altogether? Okay? And, and I say that as somebody that I've had some really hard things happen to me in life, and it's crippling, right? Where you were literally, like when I was told by the nurse my dad died, I was 25 years old, I literally fell to the ground. And they had to carry me down to a room. Okay? But even though I didn't want to lose my dad, the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. He gives you life. He gives you eternal life. He sustains your life. He can take your life. The Lord had every right to take the life of Ananias and Sapphira. And it, and it serves as an example to the church. Don't go buying and selling indulgences. Don't go, you know, taking what's not yours. So, how do we then have a proper understanding of giving? I love what Tim Keller has to say here. Because usually when you get to this point of the sermon, the preacher's going to tell you, you need to give more, you're not giving enough. He says, if you don't want to give, you may not fully understand what Christ has done on your behalf. Right? And that's what we've been talking about, the gospel. Right? You may be trying to be your own savior, or you're trying to maintain an economic level, but you're failing to see the generosity of the cross. Keep believing the gospel until you want to give away your money and your life. A gracious, generous person doesn't sit down with a calculator. 
but looks to the cross. That's how you become a more generous giver. Look to the cross. The Lord will move in your heart. We have, now on on a practical side here, we've got three ways that you can give. (laughs) You know, I I just want, because now that you're convicted, I want to make sure you know what to do with that conviction. (laughs) I wasn't born yesterday. You know, I went to one church, and I love this. And it was my, my roommate's church. And they took up the offering. It came back, came into the pastor's hand. He looked into the plate, and he said, there's not enough to make the car payment for the pastor. One more time. And the gospel choir starts going back and forth and singing. He took three offerings. And I asked him about it. I was like, I, I, I don't understand this. <laughs> he said, sometimes you just have to wait until everyone gets the Spirit of God to be able to give freely. Maybe they know something that we don't at that church, right? Um, there's also four different places that you can give here. One, you can give to the general fund, and that keeps the lights on. It keeps the staff paid. Um, it, it gives us money to do capital improvements like the seafoam green carpet and seats in here. They got to go. So you give to the general fund to keep that stuff going. Then we have the missions fund, and that supports all of our mission work and activity. Then the third fund, which I get to oversee as the pastor of care and counseling, is the benevolence fund. That's the fund that helps out those who are in need. That came right from this text today. Right? That's why we have a benevolence fund. It's because of this Bible verse in Acts 2, 42 to 47. And so you can and so maybe you might want to do that when you when you give. You might say, you know what, I want to give a you know, I'll give to the general fund, but I also want to give a little to the missions fund. I also want to give a little, make sure that the people who are in need in our congregation have help. And then we also have our Spanish church. There's a fund for them. Now, how do we get to the ideal? We pray for God's revival massively. And then secondly, we give of our time, our treasure, and talent, as he calls us. We always should be thinking as a Christian, how, how does God want me to use my time, my treasure, and, and, and my talent, my natural giftings, right? And, and when you just start praying, okay, Lord, use those things, opportunities will come along. All right, and then lastly, elevate Christ in all of your ways and words. Jonathan, um, um, Jonathan Edwards said, here's how you know a revival happens. And he had the great awakening came for Edwards. And he said, here's how you know you've got revival going on. One, church attendance is high. Second, when you go into the marketplace, people are talking about divine things and not human things. So how much of your time do you spend talking about the Astros and politics, and maybe if we just start talking a little bit more with the people in our lives about the things of God, maybe that might catch on, right? So let us think about the words that come out of our mouth just in, in, in the every day. We don't have time for that because we got our worship now, but here's, as a uh, praise team comes back, we talk a lot about gathering for worship. This is how you get the ideal. We gather for worship. We grow in spiritually in groups. We go in mission. We give generously, and we're grace-driven. Those five Gs, you know what they call that? They call it the five Gs. No, they, they do. You know, when pastors get together and they're talking about how do we establish vision and mission and core values, this is called the five Gs. Where does that come from? Right here, literally in the Bible that we just studied today. This is how the church grows into its ideal. And then the sixth G is you develop godly relationships. That's really on you. Develop 
godly, good relationships with those around you. Serve where you can, and then pray. We need to be praying for one another, praying for our country. Let us respond to the Lord through our worship. Would you please stand and lift your voices to him?
morning, church. You can be seated. We have a special time of ending our service today by introducing a lot of new members. So I'd like to invite those who are new members to come on up here who are in the Introduce you. I'm just grab this again. <laughs> All right. If you'd come forward, uh, we have 29 new people, new members. And as you came in, hopefully you picked up a booklet. It, yeah. <laughs> awesome. If you can come on up here at the top. And Carol, if you can just come right up here close to us, that would be great. Um, and uh, this is just a portion of those. We introduced many at the earlier service. And uh, as you came in, uh, there was a booklet there. If you didn't get one, please pick one up on your way out so that you'll get to know those who are new members in our congregation and that we are glad that you are here today. So, All right, I'm going to just introduce the ones who are here with us and then I'll get, allow you the opportunity to get to know the others by looking through the book. And so as I call your name out, if you would raise your hand so that people will identify that's you, and then I'll just tell a little bit about you. Uh, but the first couple we have are Mike and Michelle Foley, and that's actually them right here on the left. Uh, Mike received Christ in 1974, and uh, Michelle accepted Christ after a pastor from her home church made a visit to see her. Um, and uh, they are waiting to see how God leads them to serve at Cypress Bible Church. And we're glad to have you here, and welcome to CBC. Our next new member is Carol, and Carol is down here to my left, and Carol Harlan. Uh, she came to know the Lord through a visit with a pastor and a church member that came to her house one day, and uh, she has the gift of mercy and loves to sing. And Carol is a delight in the midst of some challenging circumstances of life. She's been trusting God throughout that this last couple years, and so she's a delight to have. So welcome, Carol. Glad to have you here. And then next, we have a family grouping up here. So anyway, maybe it's best. So I'll introduce the first part of that family, and that's uh, Lilo and Mindy Hidalgo. And so let me just explain the family grouping, and then I'll introduce all of them. So Mindy is the daughter of, of uh, let me get the right names here, of um, Tom and Indy. And then Lee is the son of Tom and Indy. So we've got... Uh, parents and their children and their, and their spouses. So anyway, so, but let me go ahead and introduce them individually here. Uh, Lilo and Mindy Hidalgo. Lilo accepted Christ when he was a child in Grisha, Costa Rica. And uh, Mindy accepted Christ as her Lord and Savior at a student revival. And uh, they are uh, interested, she's potentially interested in serving in the children and youth ministries at Cypress Bible Church. And so welcome, we're glad that you're here. Then I'm going to skip over to Alba in between uh, the, the, the uh, other family members. So Alba is right down there at the end. Alba accepted Christ into her heart when she was eight years old. And Alba serves in a variety of ways, has a real servant's heart, but has served mostly recently in children's ministry. And so glad to have you here as well, Alba. And then Lee and Angela Vornbrock. Uh, Lee made a public confession of his belief in Christ as a young person, um, and Angela came to know uh, Jesus as a college student, and they're open to see how God will lead them to serve here at Cypress Bible Church. And so they we're glad that you're here as well, and welcome. 
And then we have Tom and Indy Wormbrock, the parents of the family. And uh, Tom remembers making Jesus Lord of his life when he was 12. And incidentally, Indy accepted Jesus as well at the age of 12. So anyway, so um, and uh, they uh, uh, are active, uh, look for ways to be involved at Cypress Bible Church and have a, a special passion for supporting missions. And so we're glad to have you here as well. And then one last couple who I don't believe, I don't see them up here right now, but that's Steve and Susie Zeal. And uh, Steve came to Christ when his aunt shared the gospel with him. Susie came to know Jesus through high school. And uh, Susie has a specific passion for those who are unemployed, refugees, and supporting missions as well. And so we welcome them as well as all the other, uh, others who are joining us this morning. So welcome to Cypress Bible Church. I encourage those of you, our congregation, get to know these people, uh, welcome them in and, uh, and, and as part of our family here. But let me just close in prayer, and then I'll close with a benediction. Lord, I thank you for each of these new members, Lord, as they uh, are, some of them have been part of our body for a while, but others are fairly new. Lord, I pray that you would use them in a way that would encourage us and use our body here that would be an encouragement to them as we walk together, uh, serving and following you. Uh, thank you for Jesus, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One last announcement. If you want to be a member that tells you on the back how to let us know, you can either go out to the, uh, the foyer, you can look on our website to sign up. You're interested in that. We have a membership class coming up June 12th. And now I'd like to close with a verse from 1 Corinthians 15. As part of the church, we're told, um, uh, now, uh, Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So as you serve us here, as you become part of our body here, as we serve the Lord together, may we follow that call. Thanks for joining us this morning. Have a good week.